Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello, and welcome to episode 89 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And just before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference, uh, the conference in 2022, uh, which is uh, a week or so away, about 10 days away here, is on June 7th and 8th, and it's in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Hopefully, we can all get together again. Um, I know it's been a couple of years since we've been able to do that hopefully it'll work out but um the event this uh this year is um on june 7th and or next year's june 7th and 8th and it's at crisisconferences.com for more details that's crisisconferences.com hopefully we'll see you there well today i'm joined by rob duran who is the director and founder of black dog crisis management limited out of the uk uh, they provide uh, resilience crisis management and business continuity services to a range of public and private sector clients in the uk as well as overseas he's an associate of the cabinet office emergency planning uh, college uh, the uk center of excellence for resilience training and doctrine uh, before we get started rob welcome and for our vis- for our visitors our viewers here could you um let them know a little bit more about your career so far please sure thanks rob it's it's great to be here thanks for having me on and uh, uh it's great to be here from the uk it's uh, just coming up to christmas as we record this and i'm just sitting sitting in my chilly back room here um <laughs> so a bit about uh, a bit about me uh, i founded uh, black dog crisis management in 2015, a relatively uh, young company, but we uh, have grown quite quickly and now are fortunate enough to work uh, with clients all over the world of all shapes and sizes and and a range of sectors. But our focus really is on strategic crisis management. So getting senior people in organizations uh, to get around the table when something goes wrong and to be able to make robust decisions that are uh, defensible and uh, to be able to support their customer base or populations or whatever it might be. Most of our work, uh, funnily enough, is in the public sector. So we work with a lot of governments uh, uh, around the world, government departments, uh, and also uh, local government as well. Uh, Prior to that, though, my uh, career really has been in in government itself. I was a civil servant here in the UK, uh, worked in a number of central government crisis management roles, including supporting uh, what's known as the COBRA mechanism here. So that's a little bit like the White House Situation Room in the States, not, not quite the same, but similar sort of principles, uh, as well as doing a lot of work on uh, risk assessment. So how, how do we encourage local areas to make use of national risk assessments? Uh, and then also a huge amount of preparations for major events. So I got into a lot of work around major event assurance, uh, particularly around the Olympics, which is in London about 10 years ago now. Yep, and um, lots of state visits, state occasions. In fact, we did a number of number of presidential visits, which was a, a real pleasure to work on um, over the years, working with our police and uh, security services here. Uh, and also, then um, spent a lot of time thinking about whole of society resilience, so it was something which is known as community resilience here in the UK, uh, and did a lot of work on developing policy around that. 
Excellent. Um, yeah. So I, I guess your career then moving into uh, black dog crisis management um, was really driven from that work that you did uh, within the government space. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the things which I saw was that the mechanisms that, that we use for crisis management in government are really applicable to any organization. It's about, you know, good situational awareness, right. it's about having a good defensible decision-making mechanism, it's about having clear uh, ability to log and track actions yeah. and reach out to stakeholders, uh, which sounds quite simple when you say it like that, but actually right. if you're in an organization that hasn't done that before, that can be quite tricky and takes a lot of time to set up, which is where the likes of you and I, Rob, right. come, into our, yeah, come into our own, really, in terms of what we offer to organisations. Uh, and that's where we get into a huge amount of training training programmes, exercising, writing uh, writing plans and helping organisations build that capability. And I like to think a bit about, um, it's about confidence building as much as anything. Most organisations have the competence to be able to sit around the table and discuss an issue uh, when things go wrong but actually having the confidence to make those decisions in crisis is the biggest challenge i think that we try and overcome uh here at black dog yeah yeah and uh, very similar over here so i think you know i really similar paths you know i took the military path and kind of brought all that discipline you know decision making just just yeah. like uh, yourself there so uh, that's uh, great to see and great to hear um so what about your most challenging role as it relates to your career so far what would that be and why so this is a really interesting question because I've, I've had the, the fortune of doing lots of really interesting and, and weird and wonderful things in my career. I think there's probably two things that stand out for me, um, both within a couple of years of each other, funnily enough. The first was in 2009 when the swine flu uh, epidemic started to spread uh, around the world, obviously originated in, in Mexico, spread through the States and then over into Europe. Um, and I was working in that COBRA mechanism there, so that kind of situation room uh, for the cabinet office. And I think the thing that, that struck me is that we moved very quickly from a space where we thought our existing capabilities would be able to manage. So health capacity, mortuary capacity, uh, essential services will be up and running to a space where we started to look ahead to the future. And if the virus or that virus had yep. taken a particular turn, we could have been into quite quickly into some very significant whole of society impacts, which would actually have been worse, if you can believe it, than COVID-19 has been. So that was a really wow. difficult few months. Um, and the second one for me was in uh, 2011, slightly more localised issues. In uh, London, we had a lot of riots, and yep. um, uh, which were caused by uh, a number of uh, protests against the police actions which have gone be in terms of how they've been managed yeah and really you started to see real problems in some parts of london and other cities around the uk and that was probably one of the first times as an emergency planner i'd actually been in the midst of the emergency you know right. my team were uh, at the time were going home through some of these riots um at some of these areas and we started to feel a sense of real danger which perhaps for many people in, in the emergency planning space, we don't often do that because we're normally in our operations center, uh, you know, happily, happily behind <laughs> locked doors. Right. Uh, so that was quite an interesting period trying to kind of support my team uh, through that as well as think about the impacts for the role I was doing. 
Yeah, I, I seem to remember there was those pop-up gangs that used to kind of just say, well, all right, we'll meet at this tube station or, or that one. And, and it was very dynamic, right, in terms of how they were doing that through social media. So for emergency planners and obviously the police and everyone else, the emergency responders, that was a very difficult period. Yeah, it's really interesting your point about social media because that's just sprung another memory, which is that that was the first time that we'd seen that kind of social media organisation of protest you know, legitimate protest, absolutely fine, but also disruptive protest. Right. Uh, and yeah, it was very, very difficult because from a security services point of view or a police point of view, there wasn't the usual coverage of, oh, yes, you know, there's an informer here and he said X, Y, and Z, or she said that, right. and we know what's going to happen. And equally, protests weren't being advertised in public. It was right. kind of behind closed doors on on Facebook groups, et cetera, and other, other organisations. So that was a real challenge from an intelligence gathering point of view and trying to understand what was going to happen and therefore how do you then protect premises that might be targeted how do you then ensure that the public can carry on you know going to work or whatever it might be yeah. some really interesting uh, findings from there yeah great case study for crisis management for sure yeah yeah <laughs> um, okay let's move on I, I know when we originally started to have a discussion um uh, you know you know talking about getting on this on this podcast here you know i you know i, th I was thinking about some topics i know you know covid obviously you know the omicron variant is yeah. uh, is rampant right now certainly you know as we you know here in the states we know we're still dealing with a, a delta for the most part but uh, we yeah. certainly omicron is hitting as hard um now as well so but as of today then um you know what's the current state of covid in the UK and the impacts it's having on some businesses. So it's really interesting because it just feels like we're back to square one in a, in a little space. I don't know if it feels like that there. Um, I've seen some really interesting message from, from, from President Biden in the last couple of days about um, how, that, uh, how that has started to manifest itself in the States. And we're in a similar situation here yeah. where there's a lot of uncertainty about um, whether we should take measures, whether the government should take measures to restrict people's ability to meet each other, uh, whether we should have another lockdown, trying to understand what the impact on the NHS is. Yeah. Uh, and this is, from, from a kind of immense planning point of view, this is exactly what happens. Viruses mutate and they repeat themselves and you get right. different waves. So in a way, this is quite expected. But from a kind of you know citizen point of view, it's an extremely challenging, extremely distressing position to be in. Where we are right now, um, is the UK government is, is currently deciding whether we need to take more measures. Mm. There's a lot of political backlash actually on the government at the moment, which probably wasn't there in previous waves. And that's really influencing some of their decision-making as well as trying to make the most of a very complex set of scientific data. And for us, absolutely similar position. Omicron is now rampant. The numbers are, are, are staggeringly high, but... Yeah. To be fair, there wasn't the testing capacity in previous waves that we have right, now, so those right. numbers are probably more realistic. Um, and then the other, the other, the other complicating factor here is Christmas, which is you know by far and away the biggest kind of public holiday that we have in the UK, um, and means a huge amount to a huge amount of people. Uh, and last year uh, we had to cancel Christmas essentially, yeah. which was a huge kind of economic and social socially damaging move um and the interesting impact of course is is that it falls on businesses and it falls on businesses that are already in a fragile state from an economic stability point of view here in the uk we've got a huge issue with supply chains at the moment yeah um partly due to covid partly due to kind of brexit 
uh, issues with trade with Europe. Uh, and secondly, we've got um, a huge number of vacancies. So there just aren't people around to provide that resilience for a business that has two or three members of staff who have to self-isolate. And that, right. of course, is affecting the small businesses more than anything else. Yeah. Just today, uh, funnily enough, the Treasury here have announced a billion pound uh, package, I guess what's that about, about a billion and a half dollars, um, to help hospitality businesses particularly, so restaurants, bars, et cetera, who at this time of year with people cancelling, yeah. their reservations are just being really, really hit hard after nearly two years of either being closed or under so many restrictions that they just almost can't make the numbers work. And um, it does feel like there's going to be a really significant economic impact again uh, from Omicron uh, as we've had before. Yeah, I, I feel like the same's coming here as well. And I, I don't feel like um, that anyone's talking about um, any support like that for um, any kind of business. Um, they got it wrong last time here initially, yeah. and some big businesses got some payouts when they didn't need it. And uh, yeah. they're actually handing the money back in some some organizations and actually apologizing. because Yeah, we've had they're, similar here. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, it's interesting. There's been a huge amount of pressure on the on the Treasury to do something for businesses there's been a lot of resistance because because the uk's approach in terms of paying for the massive costs that covid has brought to society has been uh, borrowing and so our kind of debt is hugely increasing which you know from an economics point of view is is fine because that's the way that economies work but you know on paper it looks quite worrying so the treasury <laughs> treasury is sort of worrying about having to borrow more money right. to deliver that so they're quite reluctant to put in place um extra support but when you just look at you know, restaurants all over the country losing thousands and thousands of pounds worth of bookings um, yeah, yeah. at their busiest time in the year. And this this two, three week period was supposed to be their recovery time. Right. To kind right. of get money back in the coffers. Yeah. And you know, never mind the businesses, of course, the employees as well who are relying on that um, income, um, yeah, you, know, to, you know, buy presents or just get through the get through the Christmas. So uh, and um, on top of that, of course, you have the huge kind of societal damage from millions of people being ill right hundreds of thousands of people end up in hospital people dying you know families wrought apart yeah all yeah. the worst kind of things that we've had before are coming back again yeah 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 um so you you touched on a couple of the uh, challenges for restaurants certainly there um but you know what are the two biggest lessons do you think uh, that businesses should have learned by now because you know here we are you know two years into this um and uh, you know you would think that some organizations uh, should have learned some of some of these lessons now but uh, what are a couple of those in your opinion so I think that the one that struck me all the way through this, and it's not just businesses, this is society as a whole, is we're not as resilient as we think we are. You know, both the UK and, and I guess the States, we are advanced nations. We are, uh, you know, world leaders in a whole number of fields. We think we are quite secure in our infrastructure and our ability to run life. You know, we don't experience some of the some of the day-to-day -day problems that other nations do. Uh, and we're fortunate for that. But COVID has just kind of thrown that up in the air. So I think the first lesson for me is, you know, we're not as resilient as we think we are, and therefore we need to do something about that at right. all levels of society. And I think the second thing is, is you know, things will go wrong. You know, if you're a business owner, if you're an organisation that is perhaps sometimes a bit blasé, yeah. about things like resilience, preparedness, emergency planning, whatever you, whatever you think, things do go wrong and will go wrong. And COVID's shown us that. And I think the biggest lesson is not to think something won't go wrong again right that we won't have another 
big power outage like for example we saw in texas a few months ago that we won't have really serious storms like we had the tornadoes and we had a very bad storm here in the uk as well recently so things do go wrong and companies need to prepare yep yeah spot on there yes same same over here really you know in the early you know i think everybody you know took a some kind of hit in terms of the pandemic um yeah. i know some of our customers said rob we don't want to talk to you we're dealing with this yeah. right yeah and uh but in the meantime we're having a cyber event or in the meantime exactly. you know there's something else going on that we also need to need to manage so it took a little while for them to to figure out that uh yes they need to be able to manage more than one event at, at one time so yeah exactly yeah. In, in the doctrine here in the UK, we call, obviously we call that sort of concurrent events or concurrency. Yeah, and it's often put in the too hard box. We can't we can't think about how to plan for two things at once. <laughs> right. well, I'm sorry, we've had an emergency now for two and a, two two and a half years, and in that time we've had lots of other incidents. Right. Cyber being a huge issue for lots of organisations, but all the, the full gamut of crises have hit businesses whilst COVID is going on. Yeah, uh, and that's you know really brought home I think some of the, some yeah. of the real world challenges that we can face. Which we yeah. don't like to think about, you know. You like to, it's human nature to think everything's going to be fine, right? Um, but it's not, sadly. Right, right, yeah. Um, so, what would your advice be to crisis managers uh, within organisations uh, as it relates to the future of the pandemic? So, I think um, in terms of the future of the pandemic, it's it's pretty difficult if you haven't already got processes in place to put them in now. I think you're probably going to have to carry on firefighting for a little while. But the biggest thing you can do in an organization is start to understand what has happened for your organization. So what's gone well? Where have your processes stood up to that challenge? Where have your staff pulled through, shown exceptional you know, uh, courage and determination to keep things moving? And where do things need to be improved? How resilient are your supply chains? You know, where have been those gaps? How is the cash flow, for example, managed through that? And how do you need to change uh, over time to manage disruption. So I think that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is um, don't plan for COVID-19. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you do, right. plan for the next plan for the next incident, which could have a whole host of other impacts. But of course, you know, as we as we talk about in the emergency planning field, you talk about generic impacts. Right. Loss of staff, loss of premises, loss of income, loss of power, loss of communications networks, uh, you know, internet access doesn't really matter what the emergency is it's the the things that you plan for to manage the disruption that's most important and every organization can do something about that on the back of what's happened to them during COVID-19. Yeah yeah for sure I couldn't agree more you know we, we see a major gap often um, within um, you know the sector if you will the crisis management world and and that is not enough practice um, yeah. you know and and even just you know on the tra on the training front you know new team members come and go you know on, on a regular basis uh, as they do in other areas yeah. of, of the business and uh, you know it's just that I think it's that regular touch point on you know all things crisis management and it's, I know it's difficult yeah. to do for some organizations uh, because you know they, they want to kind of check the box once a year we'll do that Definitely. exercise yeah. and once a year we'll do some you know a little bit of training but uh you know what what we're advising now i don't know what you you're, you're advising but you know kind of a monthly touch point in some way shape or yeah. form it can be as small as you know a short video being sent out to the team or a reminder of what your roles and responsibilities are a little quiz that's relevant you know yeah. make it make it fun right i don't know what you're seeing on on your end there yeah definitely trying try to make it fun is, uh, is is a good way to go i think um absolutely you see so many organizations and we have for years in the sector where 
you know, I've written an emergency plan. Great. Where is it? No idea. Right. It's locked away in the back of a hard drive somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you need to bring that to life. And emergency preparedness needs to be part of every, organ- every employee's responsibilities. It's not just the team who sit in that funny office down the end of the corridor. You know, everyone needs to be part of that. And I think you're right. Regular discussions, board level, 10 minutes at a board level discussion. You know, what we're going to do if this happens? Let's right. have a quick scenario run through. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take significant amounts of time it just needs commitment uh, uh, and regular commitment i absolutely agree with your approach yeah and i think that also leads to that you know uh, those smaller conversations lead to okay well we need to include a wider audience within the organization we need to do more planning this is this makes sense now right and that's we see that we see that light bulb all the time when we do these mini scenarios and it's like okay well why didn't we use uh, the backups as part of this training or why didn't we you know bring in you know the other team that's you know relevant to the conversation and and then you start to realize yeah then you start to realize that actually the decisions that you make during the crisis, if you like, the round the table discussion are only the firefighting. What you need to then do is put in place the practices that stop the fire in the first place. And therefore right. you start to think about business planning, workforce planning, supply chain planning. When you let a contract, is that company that's providing you whatever they're making, whatever service you're getting from them, are they resilient? Yep. Can they withstand things? And it's right. almost transformative. You're right. That light bulb moment's true. And I see, it's a real pleasure for me to go into an organization and sort of do that. You feel like you can kind of pull the pull a, a box away from someone sometimes and you see, ah, yeah, now I get it. Now I know what you're doing. Right. Um, doesn't make it any easier, uh, of course, but, um, you know, it does sort of give that uh, strategic drive, I think, for, for change, which is so important. Yeah, you did right. What we see over here for those organizations that do it really well is, is a really good mix of cross-functional representation yeah on that crisis management team and it really drives tremendous conversation when you've got somebody sat there from supply chain somebody from marketing and somebody from sales and then somebody from you know some other you know you know who who don't talk all the time right you know some some legal and then all of a sudden it's like well if we do this this is going to impact this oh really i didn't know that so the scenario drives that conversation and only leads to uh, you know obviously better planning in the long run and, and the, yeah, absolutely. The classic example for me and that is, is around cyber incidents where you have your IT, you know, your computer infrastructure, your network architecture, they, they sit and they work really hard and they get along with things in the background. And when something happens that's a cyber incident, be it malicious or otherwise, uh, suddenly these people who live on the fifth floor have to come and, <laughs> come and try and respond for the whole organization. And of course they can't because they don't have the skills or knowledge to do that. Right. So the whole organization needs to understand what they're doing and why. And right. then there has to be a kind of cyber resilience discussion about how do we carry on the organization without some of those essential services. And it's, we see it so often now is, um, you know, board, particularly at board level, you know, risk owners at board level waking up to the reality that you can't farm out what we would think of as resilience to individual right. functions. It has to be that multifunction approach exactly to just right across the organization. Ideally coordinated by, you know, a chief exec or a deputy chief exec who can kind of drive that work organizationally in the way you would do, you know, more traditional health and safety or security issues or whatever it might be. Sure. Uh, It's exactly the same approach. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Back to COVID a second here. You know, in terms of some of the less obvious impacts that you're seeing to to businesses and communities, you know, what, what would they be? 
So, so it's re- for me, it's really easy. It's about independencies. It's about mm. understanding that if you, it's like a kid's game, you know, where you, you kind of put all the sticks in a big, uh, in a big plastic thing and you pull one out and the whole thing collapses or Jenga or something, you know, it's that sort of thing. Right. Um, understanding what happens if one part of your infrastructure stops working. Um, and you can look at that at a whole society level. If the bus company doesn't have enough drivers to run the bus route that goes past your office, what does that mean for your staff going to work? Sure. And if your staff can't get to work to operate, let's just say your call center or your helpline, what does that mean for your customers? Right. You know, it's that kind of um, thing that is perhaps out of your control that you still need to think about as an impact of some of the risks that are going to affect your business. So it's kind of really trying to look beyond your own your own boundaries, I think, is the key for this, and think about some of those impacts. And again, it doesn't need expertise. It just needs a bit of thinking. What do we rely well, on? Yeah, as a yeah, right. yeah. You know, yeah. I often say to organizations, you know, what are, gonna, what are the impacts of, you know, a, a widespread power loss? And they look at me like I'm from Mars. But I say, well, what would it mean for your family at home? Right. You know, well, we couldn't, you know, charge the Tesla if they're lucky enough to have a Tesla. You know, they couldn't. <laughs> right. But, you know, the fridge stops working, whatever it might be. Uh, and suddenly you can see how that builds up into the organizational understanding. But that's the way you have to do it. I, I often I find, and I think we're a bit guilty of this as a profession, you know, we, we quite like to sustain the dark art myth around crisis management and emergency planning. And of course it isn't. It's about kind of applying some very common sense rules with, with a decent framework that allows you to think outside of your own comfort zone. Right, right, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, well, that was, that was excellent. As we start to wrap up here, um, you know, my final question really is about um, being prepared uh, for additional future impacts uh, in this, you know, uh, people overuse the new normal uh, yeah. world that we that we're living in. Um, you know, uh, you know, as you know, here at PreparedX, we're all about exercises. Uh, uh, do you see that being, you know, um, a tool and a driver that they can continue to plan? Exercises are the most useful thing that an organization can do. They're much more useful than having an emergency plan written down. They're probably much more useful than sending all your staff on a training course. Right. You know, do those things as well, just to be clear. But if you're going to do anything, have an exercise. The first one you have will be a total disaster. Everything will go wrong. There will be loads of gaps. But it will show you what you need to do as an organization to prepare and obviously, you know, using um, using professionals is the way to do that because you can come in, you can provide independent assessment, and, and, and both of our organisations do that um, very well. And I think the other key thing is about understanding the risks that you face. There's a yep. huge amount of information out there about risk um, and about the risks that might affect us in our in our um, geographical locations or you know using the systems and, and infrastructure we use. You just need to find it. Yep. So do a bit of digging. There's probably, certainly in the UK, at the municipal level, we publish a lot of information about risk, which businesses can use, and I'm sure it's very similar uh, for a lot of uh, cities in the States and around the world as well. You know, find out about the risks, think about what the impacts might be, and then plan your business growth accordingly. Right. Yeah, makes makes total sense. Well, I can tell you that is uh, an excellent episode today. So I really appreciate your your time today, Rob. Do you Thanks, have any, Rob? It's been absolutely great. Yeah. Do you have any final comments? And um, and more importantly, um, how can listeners uh, get a hold of you if they want to contact you? 
Sure, absolutely. So you can find us through our website, which is blackdogcrisismanagement.co.uk, uh, and also on Twitter at blackdogcrisis. And um, we'd be really happy to hear from any of your listeners who wanted to have a conversation further. Great. And we'll add those into the show notes. Um, so that's no problem whatsoever. Um, again, thanks for your time today, Rob. I uh, hope you have a good Christmas and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Rob. Delighted. And uh, yeah, happy, happy holidays to everyone over there. Thank you. Well, that wraps up episode 89 of the Prepared X podcast series. Uh, we encourage that you rate us on iTunes or the other, what seems to be about a thousand different places where you can listen to our podcasts right now. Uh, of course, you can also listen to it via our, our website. So uh, we'd love to hear from you uh, and uh, love to get your feedback on this podcast and, uh, and the others that uh, we have done. Um, and don't forget to check out crisisconferences.com. That's crisisconferences.com for more information on the seventh annual International Crisis Management Conference coming up in 2022. Thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll be in touch again soon for episode 90.